Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from our senior pastor, Neil Haney. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. Before I preach, and uh, I normally don't preach two weeks in a row, so this is kind of a treat for me. Um, I'm so thankful for that Russian guy. I can't remember his name, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm, I, the rumor is he'll be back, you know, by next Sunday. <clears throat> wow, thank you. Let's pray. No. Um, but I'm just so thankful that uh, I don't have to preach every Sunday. I was just telling some of the, uh, the prayer team downstairs this, this morning that I think part of pastoral burnout and pastors burn out regularly uh, is because they have to speak every Sunday. And it's so good to not to have to fire, reload, fire, reload, fire every Sunday, but I get a, I get a break. And so we do the every other week thing. But it's nice occasionally to do two weeks in a row. And so this morning... Uh, it's an honor to do, to do uh, uh, a, a second Sunday in a row. I thought, you know, after that bummer of, a, of an explanation, I would try to cheer you guys up with one of my great jokes. <clears throat> people, <clears throat> people really appreciate my humor here. And so here goes. So uh, our dog uh, chased a kid on a bike. And so we took our dog's bike away from him. But then, then he just started incessantly barking. So we ended up giving the bike back to the dog because we found out that his bark was worse than his bike. That's bike, B-I-K-E, okay. Okay. Wow. Maybe I just shouldn't do that anymore. I don't know. Okay, let's get serious. Uh, serious. Uh, we, we are in a series called um, The Means of Grace. And it's been an entire month now since we uh, you know, have preached on this series because we had a guest speaker and then last week I did a Christmas sermon. So I'm going to pick up where Dennis left off. Uh, and that's talking about uh, one of the means of grace called worship. And just to give an explanation about the means of grace, um, we, we, we're, what we're referring to is what the church has traditionally referred to uh, as the spiritual disciplines. But we really don't like the word discipline when it comes to our relationship with God because it, it kind of puts a kind of a performance kind of a, a connotation on it. So we don't want to do that. We want to stay away from you know, you know, having to discipline ourselves to, to actually interact with the Lord. And so we borrowed the term means of grace from John Wesley, uh, one of the great uh, uh, revivalists of the 1700s. I named my son after this. He's a hero of mine. And um, John Wesley talked about the means of grace as a way of opening ourselves more and more to the grace of God. It doesn't mean that we earn more of God's grace when we pray, when we read the scriptures and study the scriptures, when we, when we uh, take communion, when we, we do worship, when we worship the Lord. But it's kind of like when it's raining, if you want to catch more rain, you put out lots of containers. And that's the way I view the means of grace. It's like 
uh, if I want to experience more of God's grace, then, then I can do that through you know, time in the Word. I can do that in, in prayer, in a, a conversational prayer with the Lord. And this morning, I want to pick up where Dennis left off last time, talking about worship. Dennis basically gave an overview of what worship is. And um, you know, he talked about worship as a weapon against the enemy and how when we worship the Lord, good things happen. Uh, actually, it, it wards off uh, some of the attacks of the enemy. And um, he, he gave a couple of, of definitions from Scripture about what worship is, the words that are used in the Hebrew and the Greek for, for worship, and, and the meaning. The Hebrew word, and I'm not going to, you know, Dennis actually said the words, but he's multilingual. You know, he, he, he has all these, um, he knows these languages. And I butcher Hebrew and Greek, so I'm just going to say the meaning of these words. So the Hebrew word just means to bow in reverence before God. But in the New Testament, the word for worship is more personable. It's more, it's, it's closer in. And, and he explained that Jesus moved from talking about worshiping God to actually worshiping the Father. He made it personal. And so the Greek word for worship uh, is, is actually to kiss the hand, come in close and, and bend and kiss the hand. Uh, and, and I think that's really awesome. And so I'm going to talk about worship again this morning, but this morning I really want to zero in on personal worship. And I'm purposely not using the word private worship because worship can happen in a personal me, God, you, God way in a crowd. In fact, that happens to me almost every Sunday. There, though, at some point during the worship, I just kind of lose myself and forget about you people. And just it's all of a sudden it's just God and me just interacting. And, and so um, I'm going to give you my working definition of personal worship. Personal worship is my heart's and your heart's response to the love, the beauty, and the goodness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. Personal worship is a heart's response to the love, beauty, and goodness of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't think I can say it better than that. Um, and, you know, it can take many forms. It can be done in many places. But, I, I, you know, we're, what Dennis and I are doing in this series, we talked about us being a part of the broader body of Christ. Like, I mean, in a, in a, uh, a church body, church, a local church fellowship where, you know, we're interacting with each other, we're loving one another, we're doing all the one another's, praying for one another, bearing with one another, you know, and, and um, that's great. You know, we need to make sure that we are part of a corporate church body because, you know, Paul points out in Ephesians 4 that this thing only works as each one does its part. And so we're, we're a body, we're a living organism, and, and each one is connected to each one, and each one does its part. I love the fact that, that Bobby and, and, and Rocky are going to do their part this morning by lead us, leading us in worship. I, I just love that. And, and uh, so, uh, but what the series is about this time is the vertical relationship between us and God, and how we nurture that, and how we just open ourselves to his love and his grace, and, and, and so... Um, as I talk about worship this morning, that's what I'm talking about. I, was, um, I took a sabbatical this year 
from May and, uh, through July. And it was an opportunity for me to, to get away from the, you know, the daily uh, pastoring uh, responsibilities that I have. And just to, uh, I, I, I felt like the Lord said, you're going to rest and you're just going to spend a lot of time with me on this sabbatical. Before, I've done a lot of projects and, and worked on you know, certain aspects of the church and my role and so forth. But the Lord said, you're going to rest and you're going to be with me. And so the very first day of my sabbatical, um, in my room, I have this big chair, this big fluffy chair. I, I have my devotions in, and uh, I read some scripture, and I pulled my journal over on my lap and, and just started writing a prayer to the Lord. And the Lord just kind of broke in and said, as I was journaling, I was listening to him, he said, what I want you to do during your sabbatical uh, is as you have these memories that pop up in your mind from time to time, and they're good memories, and they warm your heart, and, and uh, they, they stir your emotions in a good way. And he said, what I want you to do is when you think of these things, I want you just to write them out, write the memory out. I had no idea why he was wanting me to do this. I just thought, well, you know, that sounds kind of fun, actually. I never thought about doing that before. And, but I had no idea what that would lead to. And so as I was, you know, with the Lord and I was, uh, you know, all of a sudden this memory would pop up. Everything from early childhood all the way through, you know, what had happened in the, in the last year, <clears throat> I would just start writing. I'd put a little asterisk and then I'd start writing the memory. And they, it was usually like a page and a half to three or four pages. And um, I, I just loved doing it. It was just awesome. But what I didn't anticipate was the fruit of that was... I felt closer to the Lord because I began to see how he had been at work in my life, in every phase of my life, all my life. And it evoked just this, again, this heart response to his love. And in other words, it invoked personal worship. And, and I had some of the best personal private worship experiences I've ever had having written down some of these memories. So personal worship is, uh, can just be spontaneous expressions of appreciation. It doesn't have to necessarily have anything to do with singing or music. It's just expressing love and appreciation to God and, and his awesome attributes. Um, man, I, I like to take walks when the weather's nice. And sometimes I'll walk down to Pappy Mains Park just down the street here, and it's kind of down a hill, and you're, you're kind of in a little hole because there's a hill on one side and there's trees on the other two sides and our three sides. And sometimes I just go down there and just worship. I'll sing to the Lord or I'll just, just start praying. I can talk out loud. No one hears me. People would think I was crazy if they could see me, but I don't care um, because you've heard my jokes. Anyway, um, just walking out on the front porch of my home and seeing a sunset and just all of a sudden just seeing the beauty of God in nature, his attributes reflected in the world around us. It's just incredible. All of that is, is personal worship, and it can be practiced all the time. So I said personal worship, not private worship, because like I said, sometimes um, we can be in the middle of corporate worship and just have this encounter with God but I really would encourage you to practice this 
when you're by yourself. Practice worship when you're by yourself. Um, I, I wanted to share with you um, that a few years ago I decided that I really wanted to, to practice personal worship um, because I felt like worship was something that didn't just come natural to me. And I, I think most men find it a little difficult to, to really learn how to worship. Most men, I say. My son was worshiping the Lord from, it seemed like from the time he was born, he was, he was writing worship songs and singing worship songs. He used to sing himself to sleep when he was little. He, he literally, literally did that. But about seven years ago, um, I just felt like I needed to incorporate personal worship in my quiet time. And so I texted Wes and Lily, and I said, hey, could you guys give me some good worship songs where I could just put my earpods in and our earbuds or whatever they're called and just li- you know listen and worship in my in, in, in my big chair and so they sent me um, some songs and I discovered this guy named Aiden King he's with Hillsong Young and Free he's, he's helped start this Hillsong Young and Free it's the younger version of Hillsong music and um this dude has an incredible gift for writing personal worship songs, the, the I, me, you, Lord kind of worship. And we just sang one of these songs uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's called Uncomplicated. And I want to read the words to that song just to show you what I'm talking about, about personal I, me, you, God kind of worship. The words to this song, there's a simplicity, a humility to the way you love me. And honesty, a purity, God, you make it easy. In other words, you make it easy to love you. No special words or formulas could ever win you over, for your love is undeserved. Even when I can't see clearly, somehow you still make it easy. Your love's uncomplicated. You love me just the way I am. That's personal. That is a personal worship statement. So I stand before you. I'm totally surrendered with open hands and open heart. Jesus, have your way in me. That just wrecks me. I, I, I cry almost every time we sing that song. And, uh, and, and so uh, I just love it. There are people out there that are creating these, these personal worship songs that are, are just awesome. Now I want to show you the difference between a personal worship song and a corporate worship song. We've been doing this song, <clears throat> Holy Forever. And that's another song that wrecks me, but for different reasons. So I want to, I want to read this, the words to this song. A thousand generations. <laughs> that's not you and me, God. That's us. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the songs of, of ages to the Lamb. And all who have gone before us and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Jesus, your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. And the angels cry holy. All creation cries holy. You are lifted high, holy, holy forever. Man, that's a corporate worship song. You see the difference? But you know, I've found that you can actually sing these kind of songs in your private personal worship time too. It's okay. Um, it just, we just need to learn 
how to be in God's presence when we're by ourselves and to worship him. It's really important. I want to tell you a couple of stories from the word, and I'm going to show you how important personal worship is to the Lord because it's very biblical to worship the Lord one-on-one. David, the psalmist, did this all the time. I was going to read one of his psalms, but the psalms are filled with personal worship. So I'm going to, for sake of time, I'm going to forego that. And I want to share with you these two stories from the New Testament. And they're both in the Gospel of John. That frog is back. I'm going to try to drown him again. Hold on. Every Sunday I get this little thing in my throat. So Jesus is um, breaking all the rules. He is really frustrating the Pharisees, and he even bothers his disciples sometimes. If you've seen the movie The Chosen, this is one of my favorite all-time scenes. When Jesus leaves um, Galilee, I believe they're in, um, that doesn't matter, they're they're in a little town in Galilee, and, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus decides to go through Samaria. And his disciples try to dissuade him from going through. I mean, in the, in the Chosen, it shows them they're arguing with him about it. And Matthew's like, this is not the best route. And, and the, uh, James and John are like, uh, you do realize that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. And, and Jesus turns around and he says this. He goes, look, if you're going to argue with me about every decision that I make, this is going to really be annoying for both you and me. <laughs> He said, so let's go. If you want to go with me, let's go. So they, they go um, through, through Samaria, and Jews and Samaritans did not interact at all. There was a lot of history there, and it was bad. And so they go through this town called Sychar, and Jesus sends the disciples into the, 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 this town of Sychar because he stops at Jacob's well because he wants to have a conversation with this woman. And he knows ahead of time in the spirit that he's going to have this encounter. And so this woman, it's noon, it's high noon, it's hot, he's thirsty, and this woman comes by herself to the well to draw water. Now, most women would come early in the morning to draw water for the day, but her reputation is so bad in her town that she comes when she knows no other woman is going to be there because she's embarrassed. And so she shows up, and Jesus is there. And he's a Jewish man, and she's a Samaritan woman, and that doesn't mix well at all, in her mind anyway. But Jesus has an appointment, a divine appointment with her. And so he begins this conversation. He asks her for a drink, and she says, why are you a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman? And you know, so they have this conversation about water, and he introduces the living water, that if she, if, if she knew who he was, she would ask him for the water that would make her never thirst again. And so then she's like, oh, you know, she gets into this theological conversation, and Jesus starts pointing out things in her personal life that she's a little uncomfortable with. He's not doing it to offend her. He's doing it to show her that he accepts her in the midst of her brokenness. He's so loving. But she says this, uh, Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
So she's wanting to talk about something else. <laughs> and, but it's, it's a perfect setup for what Jesus wants to say to her. I love this. Dennis pointed this out too, and I'd never seen, I'd seen everything else in the story except what Dennis pointed out last time he preached about this story. And I'll show you what that is in a moment. But Jesus says this, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship not God, but the Father. That's revolutionary. Jesus introduced the God of Israel as Father. No one had ever called him that before. Not, not in a personal way, anyway. And he says, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now listen to this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, I want to go back to verse 21 for a moment and point out something else. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You personally. He's not talking to the crowds. The disciples aren't even there. He's talking to this Samaritan woman, and he says, you will worship the Father. That's personal. That's incredibly personal. He wants us to have a personal relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit, and he wants us to worship him. Second story in John, John chapter 9, it's, this entire chapter is devoted to, like chapter 4 was pretty much devoted to one person, the Samaritan woman. This chapter is devoted to a story about a man who was blind from birth. He's a young guy. He's in his 20s, probably. And he's been blind from the time he was born. And Jesus, I think that's one of the stories where he puts the mud, you know, makes some mud with his spit. It's kind of gross. And he puts it on the guy's eyes, and then he, he can see. And word gets out that Jesus has healed a blind man, but the problem is he healed him on the Sabbath, which he almost always did. <laughs> he just liked poking the bear with the Pharisees because they believe that you shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath, not even heal people. And so Jesus got really frustrated with these religious people. And so he would, most of the time, he would heal and deliver people on the Sabbath. And so once again, he does it. And word gets out and the Pharisees want to see this, this thing that's happened. They want, they want to make sure, they want to verify that what they heard is true. So they bring the student in. And they stand in before the, you know, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, whatever you want to call it, and all these religious uppity-ups start interrogating this guy. And they said, were you born blind? Did you get healed? When did you get healed? Who healed you? you know, they're asking all these questions, and this guy's just giving them answers. And, uh, and so they're like, ah, oh, we're not even sure that this really happened. So uh, go get this guy's parents. So they bring his parents in. And, and they say, you know, is this your son? Was he born blind? Is he, you know, who healed him and all this? And they're afraid because, see, Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees had already said, if you say that Jesus is the Messiah, then you, you're, you're going to get um, 
excommunicated from the Jewish community, which was a fate worse than death. You couldn't buy and sell. It was really bad to get excommunicated from the Jewish, Jewish um, uh, community. You couldn't go to church. You were excommunicated from your local synagogue. So they're terrified. And so they come in and they say, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. He now has his sight, but we have no idea who healed him. And they, it says they, they said that for fear of the Jews. So they dismiss him, and they bring him back in, and they interrogate him again. And so this guy, he's young, he's witty, he's sharp, and he gets a little snarky with these guys. And he's like, I've already told you all this. I've already answered all your questions. He says, why don't you believe me? He says, are you at, now this is really poking the bear. He says, are you asking me these questions because you want to be his, one of his disciples too? And they're like tearing their clothes, throwing dust in the air, you know, they're calling down curses on this guy, and they excommunicate him. They kick him out. And so that's where we find Jesus here in the story. It says, Jesus, this is uh, John uh, 9, beginning with verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when they found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, you got to understand, the Son of Man doesn't just mean that he was born of a human descent. The Son of Man is a messianic title from the book of Daniel. Don't ever let somebody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God or never claimed to be the Messiah. He constantly did that. And this is one of those places. He's like, I am the son of man that's talked about in Ezekiel, who stood before the Ancient of Days and was assigned to bring salvation. And so he says, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. I love what Jesus does here. Jesus said, you have now seen him with your new eyes. (laughs) And in fact, he is the one speaking to you. And suddenly his spiritual eyes are open. (laughs) Then the man said, Lord, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Man, that's mind-blowing. There were Pharisees watching this happen. This man that heals on the Sabbath, you know, they're, they're trying to find reason to crucify him. And this man calls him God and starts worshiping him. A human being standing before another human being, and yet he, his spiritual eyes are open, and he recognizes this is the Messiah, this is the, the Son of God, this is God the Son in human flesh, and he begins to worship him. And Jesus doesn't kick the dust and say, oh, shucks, you know, stop, you shouldn't do No, he receives his worship. And I guarantee you, this guy wasn't singing Hillsong or Bethel songs. He was just saying, you're God, I, I love you. I thank you for finding me. Thank you for being who you are. You know, he just was so blown away. He's worshiping. He probably fell down before him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Or those who think they see anyway. What a great story. But you understand what I'm talking about here? This is Jesus affirming personal worship. He's talking to two individuals. And he's talking about worshiping the Father. And then he's receiving worship from a a single human being. It's so important that we incorporate in our means of grace, in our spiritual practices, this whole thing of personal worship. I love to do this now. I sit 
in my chair or I come here in sanctuary and walk. I, I go down to Pappy Mains Park. Sometimes it's with music. Sometimes it's just when, when I was on sabbatical. Anybody know what a thin place is? Thin place is a place for you where you can go where it feels like heaven and earth are very close. There's just a very thin place between heaven and earth. And I have several of those places, this sanctuary being one of them, actually. I love to come in here and pray uh, during the week. Sometimes after Sunday morning service, I'll come back from lunch and and just spend a half hour in here just worshiping the Lord. Um, But... Asbury Seminary is one of those places for me. I spent, I spent five year, or four and a half years there, and um, I go back there every chance I get. And so on my sabbatical, I went back, and I was between semesters, between the end of, of spring semester and be- before the short uh, summer uh, session you know, was in, in session. And there, was hardly, there were no students, and there, were hardly anybody, uh, there was hardly anybody on campus and so the administration building was open because there were a few people working. At the end of the administration building, connected to the administration building, is Estes Chapel, the, the seminary chapel. And so one day I was, and I, I never really, I always went, the Hughes Auditorium across the street at the college is where all the revivals happened and everything, and I love Hughes Auditorium. I never really had that much interest in Estes Chapel until this day. So this is back like his first of June, I think it was. And I was walking through the administration building, and I went through the double doors into Estes Chapel, and suddenly I'm in a thin place. I can feel the palpable presence of God, and I'm just blown away. And I'm just walking around and just, just breathing in his presence. And I just grabbed a hymnal. And just open. I hadn't sung hymns. We don't sing hymns here very often. We, we did last week with the Christmas hymns. <laughs> but I grabbed a hymnal. I turned to one of those great hymns that we used to sing in, in chapel and just started singing out. And just worshiping the Lord. And I put the, the Bible, I mean, I put the hymnal up. And, and I, all of a sudden, all these memories started rushing back. I just started worshiping, and I just started walking and pacing and worshiping the Lord and talking to him, and then he began to speak to me. I spent three hours in that chapel, and it was one of the the highest times of of worship and being in God's presence I've ever experienced, and it it just fell on me. God loves to do that. And if you'll give him opportunities, that's why James says, "Draw draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I was just walking, looking for a place to pray, and suddenly I had this incredible encounter with God. You can have those too. I'm nobody special. Please do not, you know, I, I'm telling you stories about myself this morning because I don't know about anyone else's personal worship. But I know what I've experienced, and I know that you can experience the same kind of stuff I have. By the way, let me just put up this list of personal worship songs, if I could do that. I I had Wes do this. If you just take out your phone and take a picture of this, these are some just amazing worship songs for personal worship, private worship. Uh, The song by Hillsong Worship, that top one, Touch of Heaven, that song is written by Aidan King, incredible, sinking deep, uh, Defender by Rita Springer. That song just wrecks me every time. It's it's just amazing. Anyway, these are awesome, awesome worship songs. 
and uh, for, for you and your private time. But again, like I said, you don't have to use music to worship God, but I find that music moves the heart like almost nothing else. As I'm closing here, I just I want to um, I want to share this. I want to answer the why question. Why worship? Why worship privately? Why worship at all? Why should we worship God? And why should we worship him in a personal way? First of all, I just want to say this. Worship puts our focus away from ourselves and onto who he is and what he's done for us, for me, for you. It reminds me of whose I am, whose I am. My identity is in Christ Jesus. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And then it reminds us of the gospel. I told you that I have uh, this guy, um, maybe I didn't tell you this, but a couple weeks ago I got to meet a hero of mine that I'd never met. I've I've been reading this guy for over 30 years. His name is C. Baxter Kruger. He's written a number of books, probably six or seven books, and the... The book that stands out of all the books he's written is a book called God is For Us. And it just talks about how much God loves us and how the whole incarnation and atonement and everything was God's idea, the Father's idea for the Son to go into the far country as the true elder brother and, and, and crucify and destroy our alienation, our wrongness, our sin, all those things that, that we cause to separate us from God because he never separated himself from us. We're the ones that went into the far country like the prodigal son. But the true elder brother didn't sit back and resent us for it. He went after us. He and the father had designed this plan to bring us back to the father. And so Jesus went and destroyed our alienation on the cross and just wrapped us up in himself and brought us back to the father. He brought us home. And so he writes this. In, in the book, God is for us. He says, listen carefully to the epitaph I once read on a gravestone. Listen to this. This is, this is incredible. The march of time will see. Now, this is, this is on a guy's gravestone. The march of time will see that you are here with me in death, in the grave, and that you too will be forgotten. Guys, that is not worship. <laughs> that is self-centered Misery loves company, blasphemy. How cynical, how depressing that someone would think that. That my life means nothing and I'll be forgotten and so will you. And Baxter writes this, this is what the soul ignorant of Jesus Christ and the gospel knows. The inescapable haunt of impending nothingness. It's horrible. The inescapable haunt of impending nothingness. But listen to this. This is the good news, guys. This is the gospel. This is what Derek was talking about. But the gospel proclaims that we are now participants in Christ's existence and that God the Father Almighty has laid hold of us in his Son and snatched us from the nothingness of our prior existence and has embraced us and brought us home. So now in Christ, we are not alone, but included, not guilty, but forgiven, not alienated, but reconciled, not found, uh, found, now found in Jesus and at home in the Father's pleasure. 
and the Father's love and the Father's embrace, this negates that horrific gravestone epitaph forever. You are not destined for nothingness and being forgotten. You are written on the palm of of Christ's hand. Your name is written on Christ's palm. He knows you. And he has brought you home to the Father. You are seated in this room, but you are also seated in the family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. And someday, very soon, that will be a, a, a visual, experiential reality. Worship's important, guys. Corporate worship like we're about to enter into is, is important. But so is your time with the Lord by yourself, just you and him. And I want you to take advantage of that. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.